you can't take them literally. And there's a, a lots of meaning. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, she would be, so as far as the... I can't remember what her name is. Or how historical these things yeah. would be. Um, I would I would say that's probably a minority, a minority view among most Jewish scholars. Um, are there, now, I guess it depends what you mean by take literally to some extent. So, did everything happen as a perfect record like this? Well, you know, that would be hard to know or hard to say. Um, and obviously there's, right, there's parts of the story, and we've, we've encountered this already, where they will, um, will find things from the future sort of worked back in. Even just references. I mean, it's not like it's hidden. It's, it's you know, they'll be talking about a certain time and then they'll say, and then such and such happened later on down the line, right? So, you know, it's it's not a, it's not a verbatim transcript of what's going on. I don't know that, I don't know if that means that you can't take it um, his, historically as much as we can take any history as history. So I guess there's a... Yeah, well, I'm being out of that area, but I'm not a historian, I'm a geographer. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I historians look upon what they have in a different way. Uh, and I, I figure history is all basically fiction. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, but it's, I, I think the, mm. I wouldn't doubt that the people existed. Um, I don't think, I don't, I don't get the sense that the, that any of this is made up just whole cloth. That like, no. there was no Abraham, you know, or there was no, um, you know, but they fill it in with what a good guess. Some parts get filled like. in. Some parts get massaged. Some parts get um, what they well. You could say what they would like, or maybe what the, what they discern that the story was where it was leading. Um, I think one of the interesting things about thinking about this as history, you know, it's not really propaganda history though because. There's a lot, and we've encountered this week after week with Genesis. If you were creating the perfect history for yourself, just to make yourself look good, and you're, and, you wouldn't you know, show you're, bad things. No, you wouldn't show all these bad things, right? Um, and the Bible is just chock full of a pretty, a pretty, what seems like honest accounting of the history of God's people, um, starting with their very rebellion against God. Um, which I guess lays the groundwork for it's not supposed to be this. Um, tale of only perfection, and, and later on through the through the history of the of the scriptures, you start to get into the kingships of the uh, of the uh, Israelites. I mean, gosh, Saul was never even supposed to be king to begin with. I mean, that's that's how they start that history. Um, so I th I find it to be pretty pretty open, honest, and reflective. But I, I wouldn't say that it's. I, I think it's a bridge too far to say that it's all just. You know, yeah. Well, made up story. I don't. I didn't quite. I didn't hear enough of it to know if she thought if she was taking it from a feminist viewpoint, or and trying to bring the women out more. I don't. I right. didn't get that. I and I don't remember what her name was, so I couldn't go get the book to read. <laughs> yeah, which I. 
I mean, obviously, this is this is not a. The, the people of this era were not feminists by any stretch of the imagination, although they don't. Again, they they highlight and they don't hide the women's stories. They are a part. Um, now they're they're often not the leaders or the or the protagonists because well they just would not have been in that time. It's just not the way the culture worked. I mean that's not the way that Western culture worked until you know we still struggle with it. Um, Elizabeth the first. What's that? Elizabeth the first. Right, yeah, really. Um, but, e but even in those circumstances, it still was not any sort of egalitarianism. But, but they, I mean, if you, were, if you were intent on it being completely, you know, devoid of, you know, women and women's perspectives, um, the Hagar story um, and, and her encountering God and, and being saved by God out in the, out in the wilderness would just be, you, you wouldn't have it in there, I guess. So. And it's key. It's key to Islam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, we are at chapter, are we at 39? 39. 39. So, we did Judah and Tamar. For. Yes. Yeah, we got ready for Joseph. That's right. All right, I'll get them. Where? How many chapters are there? Just curious. 50. 50. There's 50. All right. We probably, we'll probably finish next week then, but starting with chapter 39 this week. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had bought, brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of the house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, and the blessings of the Lord was, were on all that he had in the house and the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then could I go against this great wickedness? How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until her master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant, servant whom you have brought among us 
came in to me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. <laughs> he keeps getting all this work thrust on him, but I guess it's because things work out. But it's kind of funny. He goes and he, he's a servant and the, uh, the Lord is with him. So the servant puts him in charge of everything. And, uh, and then he, as far as the story goes, gets falsely accused by the, by the wife. And uh, goes to jail, and the jail puts him in charge of everything because. Yeah, <laughs> well, but then he. So he's a worker, no, no doubt. This was how he was getting his training to rule Egypt, on behalf of the pharaoh. Yes. So yeah, and and thinking forward, we know that already. Um, you know, there's another. Th there's another connection you could make, here, um, so, obviously, there. This is just the start of their time in Egypt. What eventually becomes of the Israelites there? Uh, they became, become, well, they became very prosperous. Yeah. And then they also become enslaved. Right. <laughs> right. And I think there's almost a, uh, I, I think you could even foreshadow a little bit here just with what's happening with Joseph, um, that he's in this servant's role, right? And that the Egyptians are kind of pressing their work off to, <laughs> off to him. Um, so sort of like the Israelites that will be. All right, chapter 40. Can someone pick up there? Sometime after this, the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And the pharaoh was angry with the two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. And he waited them on them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the butler and the baker, of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning and saw them, they were troubled. And he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in the master's house? Why are you, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Mm -hmm. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, I pray. So, well, he's really, he's taking in the intercession. He's... The, yeah. the way to God. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so the chief butler told his dreams to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me. And on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it was budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. 
Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you, lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and do me the kindness, I pray you, to make mention of me to Pharaoh, and to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked foods for the pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered, this is his interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days the pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. From you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief butler and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief butler to his butlership, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You want me to keep going? Well, pause a second. Um, I don't recall this. Yeah, so interesting. Um, so yours has butler there. Mine is the interpretation as cupbearer. Um, so if you're thinking of, of Pharaoh as a king, right? So what are these two jobs? The baker and the drink handler. Yeah, right. Um, so it doesn't quite, it says that Pharaoh became angry with them. And I guess there's two possible reasons. One would be that they just kind of were not doing great at their job. Um, so maybe the, the baked goods weren't good and the, and the wine wasn't its best. The other thing it could have had to do with is some sort of um, assassination plot. If you think about like um, like royalty, right? They always have these these very tasters, tasters and bakers, and these are very like back in back in that time, and I suppose still they were considered like very high security jobs. You're the one that's in charge of uh, what goes into the um, what goes into the pharaoh. So it could have been anything from an assassination plot. That was found out, or a, um, or just Pharaoh got very sick, and they assumed it was an assassination plot. So one, so one controls the food and one controls the drink, and who's it going to be? So it, apparently Pharaoh has deduced that it's the, uh, it's the baker. But you know, um, who was the dictator of Iraq? Saddam Hussein. Saddam. He had a taster. Of course. Mm -hmm. Any any worthwhile dictator would, because people are always trying to. Kill the yeah, dictator. Even to this day. Yeah, yeah, even I to mean, this and day. I know in the African stories too, um, there were tasters. Yeah, but it's a so that's so that's who's jailed with Joseph here, um, and uh, of course he correctly interprets the dreams, which is uh, so he, you're right, Mary. He does kind of speak up and say that he has this ability. Well, it seems like he does. He interprets the dreams, 
Um, but at the same time, he is forgotten about by the by the cupbearer who promised that he would not be, that he would take care of him. So, all right. Uh, chapter 41. Can we go on? Sure. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, sleek and fat, and they fed on the reeds and grass. And behold, seven other cows, uh, gaunt and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the gaunt and thin cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Behold, the seven ears of grain, plump and uh, good and growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprout seven ears, thin and blighted by the east winds. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for the mag magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none who could interpret it to Pharaoh. Then the chief butler said to Pharaoh, I remember my faults today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guards, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream of its own meaning. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and when we told him he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came to pass, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. When Pharaoh sent, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, and I have heard it said of you, that when you hear the dream, you can interpret it. Yeah. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. When Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing by the banks of the Nile, and seven cows, fat and sleek, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. And seven other cows came up after them, poor and very gaunt and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, gaunt cows ate up the first seven fat cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them for they were still as gaunt as in the beginning. Then I woke. I also saw in my dream seven ears going by one stalk, full and good, and the seven ear, ears withered thin and bright by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there 
was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. The seven lean and gaunt cows that came after them are seven years, and seven empty years, blighted by the east wind also, seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will rise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of that famine, which will follow, for it will be very grievous. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a man discreet and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let the Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, and take the fifth part of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it, that food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine, which are to befall the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a man as this in whom is the Spirit of God? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command, only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand and arrayed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and he made him to ride in his second chariot. They cried before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnathan, uh, oh, uh, Panah, and uh, gave him uh, in marriage to as the daughter of the uh, Pontifer priest of Owen. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of the Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth abundantly 
and he gathered up all the food of the seven years when there was plenty in the land of Egypt and stored up food in the cities. He stood up in every day, in every city, the food from the fields around him, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sands of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, Joseph had two sons, whom Asana, the daughter of Potanera, priest of the Owen, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the first one Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships in all my father's house. The name of the second son, Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that prevailed in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So, when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe all over the earth. So with, with this dream of, or with the interpretation of Joseph, um, I think it's kind of interesting that the magicians and no one else in Pharaoh's court could interpret it. Um, it seems sort of, I don't know if I'd say straightforward, I but, think you probably got mixed interpretations, so he didn't know which one to take. <laughs> maybe that could be true. Maybe that could be true. Maybe they hadn't had famine recently or in memory. Um, so yesterday we went up to the, uh, the the Carnegie Science Center up in Pittsburgh, and they have a, a special exhibition on Pompeii right oh, now. Oh, yes. And it was fascinating to uh, learn that they had no idea what a volcano was because there had been no... There had been no uh, volcanic activity um, in any of the recent history up till then. They didn't even have a word for volcano. And they certainly didn't know Vesuvius was one. But it, so I, I think it's just kind of funny to think like, obviously we know that those mountains there and, and mountains throughout all the world, like we're very acutely aware of volcanoes and what they are um, and can sort of guess just based on the things we've learned you know, where volcanoes are, are active and likely to be active. Um, and I think maybe from, you know, hearing these stories again and again and, and kind of being steeped in the tradition of Genesis, we would hear those dreams of Pharaoh and say, well, that's going to be the famine. But maybe they just didn't, maybe they had had plentiful years for so long that he didn't know what to make of this image of the the fat cows and the lean cows and the and the fat stalks and the lean, and the, uh, lean stalks. I don't know, but... But Joseph seems to be the man to interpret it. And how great is it that uh, part of his interpretation calls for someone to be put in charge? Yeah. Just, it seems to work out pretty well. Yeah, because he's always been put in charge. He That's right. Been, seems to work out pretty well for him. Um, 
and uh, and he is. So, what's what's an interesting balance here for Joseph right now, right? So, he's been what? He's been renamed. He has been um, married to the daughter of an Egyptian priest. He has had children, and one of the names of his firstborn child references forgetting his father's house. Um, he is kind of completely cut off from his his heritage, right? Except for what? Except for his faith in God. Then. Except for yeah. Except for his, his knowledge of and, and faith in God, which is a really interesting um, a really interesting testament here to what does it mean to be to be faithful? What does it mean to carry on the lineage? Um, he's certainly not in the promised land, and yet um, he is otherwise violating all these things that you're really not you would assume you're not supposed to be doing. You know, yeah, you have your you have your name, you have your family, you have your land, you have this upcoming prohibition not to marry what foreign wives, especially the foreign wives who are the daughters of priests. Um, you could you could put a double strike against that, um, but Joseph is still. It's okay. Why? Because he still has his faith in. in he he still has his faith in God and what else? The backing of the Pharaoh. <laughs> well, he's got the backing of the Pharaoh. He's got the backing of some someone else too. Oh, he has the support of that. Right, because remember that was. What was the first dreams he interpreted? Well, we don't know, but we can say the butler and the... No. Remember, he had dreams when he was still back oh, in... yes, yes. He saw himself as a... Yeah. He's taken over. He, he's taken over the... And the brothers became jealous. He's taken over the mantle from his own father, even. His own father, and which means he's taking on the... Uh, he's going to take on the covenant and the blessing. So he is now God's chosen too, even though he's in this very sort of, um, and, it, and it mirrors, right? Where was, gosh, Abraham was always traveling. They were down in Egypt. They were doing all, in all these sort of, um, you know, strange and convoluted scrapes and accusations and all this sort of stuff. Um, but Abraham was chosen, right? Well, now this is what the great, great, it's his great, great grandson. And we're having similar sort of similar things going on still, um, but he is fully immersed in, in Egyptian culture, uh, except for except for losing his faith and knowledge of of who God is and God remaining with him. So I just think that's kind of a I think it's a really interesting dynamic that's that's going on here with with Joseph. Now, of course, what does the story keep referring to him as by name? Story keeps calling him Joseph. Yeah. Right. Pharaoh has renamed him, but the story keeps calling him Joseph, which is, which is telling also, I think. Um, so chapter forty-two. Yeah, because the Jewish yeah. people are taking hold of this. Right. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So they're not going to use Pharaoh, the name Pharaoh gave him, but yeah. he's that's the name he's probably operating under, within, yeah. within his life there in Egypt. But then you know the way um, the Pharaoh is played in the Ten Commandments, which isn't this Pharaoh. Right. But uh, 
the Pharaoh doesn't necessarily have all of the power, and yet he's got a lot of people that works for him. Oh, sure, he's a typical king. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Even even in um, even in truly despotic authoritarian nations, it's never really just one person, mm-hmm. right? There's always. But you know, in Egyptology, they have all these different pharaohs, and some of them live a short time, and some of them don't. Yeah. And then. Some get on their own religion and this sort of thing, and they, oh, yeah. they feud with us between one another, but they're all trying to outbuild their monuments to themselves. Yep, because they were all taking on the role of a of a god. And adding to their religion was completely fine too. And even um so with with that Pompeii thing, so they had um there in Pompeii they had recovered from one of the houses the family's um statues of the gods, which was really because remember that's that's what um was it Rachel? Yeah. Well, yeah. Rachel, I think, takes the statues mm-hmm. from her father's house. So they, so within within Pompeii, they had the statues there, and it was mostly it was about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It was like seven of the Roman gods and goddesses as small statues, and the biggest statue in the bunch was Isis, who was from the Egyptian pantheon. At some point, they had adopted Isis. As, as one of their gods in the Roman pantheon. And it was considered, because none of the other ones really did anything for you when you died, but Isis could do that for you. So they adopted Isis. Um, but in the same way, so these Roman, or excuse me, these Egyptian pharaohs were getting ready for building their temple, basically temples to themselves and all this, and preparing to take their forever seat as gods. Um, so those, in those polytheistic religions, um, there's much more flexibility. The the number, the inclusion and exclusion of gods can kind of shrink and grow, because you're not limited to one, to one god like monotheism. So it's just it changes, and that's partly why they have no problem sort of accepting. So Joseph either doesn't recognize or doesn't believe in the Egyptian gods, or or thinks that his god is at least chiefly and supremely powerful over them, but they accept his god just fine. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's just another God. Yeah. Um, okay, this is your God, right? That's fine with us. Well, we recognize that, and, you know, obviously this God that you have is talking to you and is with you, so we're going to incorporate that now into our sustainment here. I don't think, though, that there's any record uh, from the Egyptologists of, uh, of the Israeli... God of God. No. Present. No. There are all these others in this. And, uh, but I don't think they've found anything that's... No, but even but even from this accounting, the only... It, it's not like they worship God then. They just say, well, you know, God is with... Your God, it doesn't say that here, but it's really your God is with you and helping you. So, okay, we're going to put you in this position now. You use your God to get this done. Um, and they're just, it's not, it's not a huge deal for them to, to bring in a, someone like that. Chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at one another? I have heard, he said, that there is grain in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he feared that harm might come to him. Thus the sons of Israel were among 
the other people who came to buy grain, for the famine had reached the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor of all the land, and it, it was he who sold all the people from the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Although Joseph had recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Joseph also remembered the dreams that he had dreamed about them. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. But he said to them, No, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of a certain man in the land of Canaan. The youngest, however, is now with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is just as I have said to you, you are spies. Here is how you shall be tested. As Pharaoh lives, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Let one of you go and bring your brother, while the rest of you remain in prison, in order that your words may be tested. Whether there is truth in you or else, as Pharaoh lives, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in prison for three days. That must have been good revenge. <laughs> On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here where you are imprisoned. The rest of you shall go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. Thus your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they agreed to do so. They said to one another, Alas, we are paying the penalty for what we have done to our brother. We saw his anguish when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. That is why this anguish has become upon us. Then Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to wrong the boy? But you would not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them since he spoke with them through an interpreter. He turned away from them and wept. Then he returned and spoke to them, and he picked out Simeon and had him bound before their eyes. Joseph then gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to return every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. They loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. When one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money at the top of the sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in my sack. At this they lost heart and turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, This man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly to us and charged us with spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, and I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will release your brother to you and you may trade in the land. As they were empty in their sacks, there in each one's sack was a bag of money. When they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. And their father Jacob said to them, 
I am the one you have bereaved of children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has happened to me. Then Reuben said to his father, May you kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he alone is left. If harm should come to him on the journey that you are to make, you would, be di you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten up the grain, and they had brought they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with me. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? What we have told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then Judah said to his father, Israel, Send the boy with me and let us be on our way so that we may live and not die. You and we, and also our little ones, I myself will be surety for him. You can hold me accountable for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry them down as a present to the man, a little balm, and a little honey, gum, resin, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the top of your sacks. Perhaps it was, perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also, and be on your way again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that you, he may send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took the present, and they took double the money with them, as well as Benjamin. Then they went on their way down to Egypt to, and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house, and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph said, and brought the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid, because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, is it because of the money replaced in our sacks the first time that we have been brought in, so that he might have an opportunity to fall upon us, to make slaves of us, and take our donkeys? So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the entrance to the house. They said, O oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place we opened our sacks, and there was each one's money in the top of his sack, our money in full weight. So we brought it back with us. Moreover, we have brought down with us additional money to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Rest assured, do not be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, must have put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. When the steward had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, 
And when he had given their donkeys fodder, they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon. And then they had heard that they were would dine there. When Joseph came home, they brought him the present that they had carried into the house and bowed to the ground before him. He inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and did a obeisance. Then he looked up and saw his mother, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. With that, Joseph hurried out, because he was overcome with affection for his brother, and he was about to weep. So he went into a private room and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. Controlling himself, he said, Serve the meal. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for it was an abomination to the Egyptians. When they were seated before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. All right. We will pause there. Um, so, <laughs> what, was, what was Joseph's dream, his first dream? That they would bow down to him. Uh, and what's happened? And they are. And they have bowed down to him. Um, why... And and we'll we'll next week we'll keep going. But why hasn't Joseph? Um, why hasn't he just said, "Hey, it's me"? Yet he's testing his brothers. I think that's a good. Yeah, I think that's a good way to read it. Entire time. Um, and, well, and in, and in ways, he's also testing his father. Hmm. Yeah, I think that I think there's something to that too. Um, he is—he was the favorite of his father, so that—that that really makes sense. He wants to know about his father. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, how his father has, or if his father's told the brothers any particular things to do, and they're following through. Yep. Um, so there's there's that portion of it. Um, what is the? Uh, so you have this. Jacob sends back what? D double the money um, and the, the best fruits of the land, some almonds and other things like this, honey and all that. Um, what, was the, what was the other dream? What was the other? Dream for Joseph. Or the other part of it. So the brothers, the brothers will bow down and who else? Oh, it's father too, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, so if you, his, so the brothers physically are there bowing down. Joseph sends these these treats and gifts, and then the brothers refer to Jacob as Jos as what? Did you catch that? No. He's. They say. Um, now wait. Starting at verse 26 in that 43rd chapter. When Joseph came home, 
They brought him, they brought him the present that they had carried in the house. It's the present from the father and bowed to the ground before him. This is them bowing. He inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father is well, he is still alive. So who's on the top of the who's on the top of the pyramid, so to speak? Now, Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, yeah. It, they, now, of course, they don't know who he is yet, but they've made this reference, and it's um, and it's pretty clear that that's sort of the dynamics of everything. Now, um, they don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph's in charge of of life and death for them, really, um, whether he'll trade with them or not out of Egypt's uh, Egypt's grain storages. So his his dreams have. Have come to be, and he is. Um, I I don't I don't know if he's testing them definitely, um, and I don't know. There seems to be. He's overwhelmed with the emotion of seeing Benjamin. Certainly, I, you have to also think he is probably also enjoying this a little. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but he's got his brothers there, and they're so. They don't even know it's him yet, but they know it's this powerful guy that has basically summoned them down. So he's first there. He first kind of kidnaps their one brother and offers this condition for them to come back down again. Um, returns them their money, which is both an act of kindness, but also scares the, the living daylight out of them because now they think that, you know, they've kind of like stolen the grain the first time. Um, and then he invites them all in to his house uh, to show the grand to their house. And their assumption is what? This man's going to enslave us. So they're just... They're on edge the whole time. Come into the embassy to get your papers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Can't come out with your trunk. So they, uh, so they're, they're scared out of their wits end. And I don't know if Joseph's, you know, still, uh, still toying with them or if this is just, or if this is just showing their misinterpretation because they can't quite make heads or tails of this. It's not exactly clear, but. But that's where we are. So that takes us through the end of chapter 43. 40, maybe we'll finish next week. All right. Well, why don't we end with a word of prayer? The Lord be with you. And also with you. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks in this season for the resurrection of your Son. May this Easter gift and blessing that you give the whole world flow through us in our lives, in our deeds, in our thoughts, and in our prayers so that we might be a reflection of your grace always. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.